Hey everyone, welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. How's it going, Michelle? Oh, it's good. It's good. It is back to school time here in oh. Ohio already. Cute. Oh my God. It's crazy. Is it? it fall, like already? Yeah, you don't have kids. What's happening? I know that's true. What am I even <laughs> complaining about? <laughs> it's just weird to me that it's fucking school is starting already. Oh, okay. <laughs> that my friends have kids. <laughs> well, you have stepkids, but like they're in college, so. Well, maybe they're I starting. Co- actually, in Oregon, they start way late. Oh, but the I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. All right, I'm not gonna talk about it anymore. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deter you. I didn't. I was just confused. I thought you were gonna surprise me with something, or yeah, and I didn't. I was surprised you with something <laughs> lame. <laughs> well, we have Hurricane Hillary outside my window, so oh my god. I don't remember ever there being a hurricane in California. Should we look it up? Has there ever been a hurricane? In yeah, it, it's been 80 or 84 years since the last one. Oh my gosh. So longer than I've been alive. Yeah, close, but. <laughs> I you're going to say barely. Right. That's what I'm <laughs> no, um, right now it's just rain. Hasn't, hasn't come full send yet. So we'll see, <laughs> but I'm ready for some flooding. I got my waters. I got candles. I'm ready for two days. You got ramen. Yeah. Ready yep. to go. Absolutely. Nice. Oh my goodness. Well, on. Because <laughs> I had a dumb intro. Like I just want to start this whole stupid thing over. <laughs> I love that intro. That's the best one yet. I'm keeping it. That stays in. Well, I've well had, on this. Uh... Quite a few of these lavender gimlets. That's right. Since it's back to school and rainy, what are we drinking? Uh, okay. Lavender gimlets. Mm-hmm. They're delicious. And I will figure out what's in them. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. So for each one, and I just like popped a double into my, you know, little shaker. Absolutely. And so I'm all set for a little while. But it is two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of lavender syrup, which you got your lavender syrup so yours is like a very purpley pretty and mine I made lavender syrup so it was just like a cup of sugar a cup of water and about a tablespoon of the dried lavender Mm -hmm. buds (laughs) popped them in brought it to a boil cooled it strained it and now I have lavender syrup and then three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice. And then you shake it up, pour it out into a glass, and you have a super delicious cocktail. It's so good. Like for me, the lavender is fairly subtle. I mean, I was scared to go yeah. too hard on the lavender because mm. I know it can turn out disastrous <laughs> if it is too much. It can be very soapy and yucky yeah. tasting, but it's just sort of a background of some floral. Lavender is such a delicious flavor. I don't know. It's really popular at my at my coffee job and my barista job. What did lavender put in it? It's just a lavender latte. Just Ooh, I should we try do, that. Yeah, some people get lavender chai lattes. Oh, I could see that being good. Yeah. Well, so... I have all this lavender, so I guess I could make my own lavender mm-hmm. latte. <laughs> did you say what alcohol was in it? You uh did. gin. Gin. Okay, yes. I, I, I think totally you could probably part. make this with vodka and it'd be just as delicious. Yeah. So kind of whatever you've got on hand. Yeah. No, it's very, it's very good. I, I I think we enjoy the floral. I wonder how the elderflower would 
mix with the lavender maybe not oh maybe much a floral. little bit yeah maybe hmm. i don't know give it a I don't try have any right now so oh i do maybe i should just pop some no nah, it's okay I have i'm to like get it's up, okay but... we can take a quick break <laughs> <laughs> go make that other cocktail maybe i'll just bring it in should i i don't know yeah yeah i'll yeah, wait a second fine. it's fine it's fine Ooh, oh is it good you can't decide Ooh. I like it. It makes, it's like a more earthy tone. Hmm. It kind of covers up the lavender a little bit. Like I can taste a floral and then like a little bit of earthiness. I don't know. I, it, mm. It's okay. It's not bad. I would drink it, but right, it's better right. without. It's better without. Now that's sitting on my tongue, it's better without. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Never uh, mind. Abort, abort. Abort. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Uh, should we just jump into it? Uh, yeah, I think we probably should. Okay, great. Let us not linger, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I have three mini stories, so it's a little different. Um, okay. This is all about flight attendants. Oh, my goodness. Okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> these four people, they already have to deal with all these people. They have to fly. They have to serve. I mean, it's just... It's, it's a tough job. I imagine it it's more grueling than glamorous. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you three little stories about some flight attendants. So they don't give out names. This is, I'm giving out the flight and the flight numbers and such. So. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So this one is August 3rd of 2023. So this month. Okay. Gosh. People are flying on Delta flight 2432, flying from Atlanta to New Orleans, New Orleans. All right. New Orleans? I don't know. No, New Orleans. Okay. Everything was normal until one passenger started to have some sort of mental breakdown. Like everything was smooth and then all of a sudden something snapped. The 39-year-old man got a sharp object and was hurting himself with it. What? Oh, gosh. He was like cutting at his neck with it. And now he is bleeding. Oh, my God. Of course. Could you imagine being the passenger next to him? Like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing, bro? Like, what's going Please. on, man? <laughs> Where's that button? Like, <laughs> yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so a flight attendant comes over and he turns on them. Oh my gosh. He grabs her and puts her in a chokehold. And this sharp object, you can see it now, is a piece of glass. Oh. And he warned other passengers if they came any closer, he would decapitate her. Whoa. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. So he ends up cutting her twice, but oh. that's when passengers rushed him and they got him restrained. Uh, so they got her so out. They just kept them there. Come to her rescue. Oh my God. Absolutely. So at 4 p.m., the plane landed and that's where they met deputies who took the man to the hospital, you know, because he was cutting himself. But luckily, the flight attendant suffered minor injuries that were treated there at the site. The man was charged with aggravated battery, disturbing the peace, and simple battery, and will be prosecuted at the Jefferson Parish Correction Center. So this happened this month. So this is still, you know, in ongoing. Process. So yeah. what is the difference between aggravated battery and simple battery? Do you know? You know, I w- I knew you were going to ask that, and I still <laughs> didn't look it up. Um, All right, leave it to me. <laughs> no, 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 no. So simple battery charge. So simple battery is like pushing, spitting on someone, slapping. So, okay, I got it. I got it. Simple batteries intentionally make physical contact with a person in an offensive manner. 
but no serious injuries, only minor injuries. Aggravated battery is force against someone that causes serious bodily harm. Oh, and it looks like, so the serious injury that requires medical attention and the use of a deadly weapon, such as a Mm -hmm. knife or a gun, can also bring a simple battery charge to an aggravated battery charge. Okay, thank you, Michelle. Sorry, (laughs) I looked it up as well. Oh my gosh, (laughs) just more better information. Thanks. Whatever, (laughs) can I get on with my story, please, with your stupid questions? Stop asking questions. No, it was a good question. (laughs) Thank you, Michelle. (laughs) I wonder if the simple battery was against one person and the aggravated battery was against her or some such thing. I like to try to figure out what this the charges are because they are kind of their own language, you know, and is like assault one worse than assault three, you know, and then all that. It's yeah. Like, yeah. The degree it is, is you know, different. so it's, it's always interesting to try to figure out what the actual charge is. Yeah. All right. You're proceed, right, Caitlin. I apologize Thank you. for no, the you're, don't transgression. Apologize. No. <laughs> no, that's it for that story. So luckily, I mean, she's just trying to you need help sir are you okay then decapitate you (laughs) i know that was like kind of crazy and very extreme (laughs) yeah seriously god i don't know what i would do if the passenger next to me started flipping out like that that would be really scary (laughs) it it would be super scary yeah i wouldn't really know either because you don't really want to engage you know right i don't know but now he's bleeding (laughs) it's becoming the whole thing Oh, Lord. Well, this brings us to March 2023, this year again. Oh, my goodness. We're on United Airlines flight 2609, flying from LA to Boston. Okay. So it's 45 minutes until the flight is about to land. Okay, so they're, like, significantly in. Like, it's been four hours or something already. Yes, exactly. They're so close. (laughs) So close. (laughs) But this is when a little alarm goes off to the flight attendants, that someone is trying to open the door. Oh, this is my worst nightmare. Oh, I'm getting like a panic attack just thinking about it. So the flight attendant uh, sees the 33-year-old man trying to open the side door to get out of the airplane. I am having a bodily reaction to this. Like, Oh, I'm having you, a lot of weird sensations. Right? Can you imagine just sitting there and seeing someone trying to open the door? You're like, um, um, um. No, man. No. <laughs> please stop. Oh, sit back down, please. But this is impossible for him to do because of the plane's cabin pressure uh, oh, at that altitude. Okay. So it's just That's no way. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> Absolutely. So the flight attendant confronts the man and... They go into a tirade and this hints at some mental health problems because he is Mm. now stating that he is the son of Dracula and he wants to kill everyone on the plane. Like, it's just, there has to be something going on. Yeah, there's some sort of psychological breakdown right Mm -hmm. there. So not being able to calm him down, the man pulls out a metal spoon that had been broken and fashioned into a weapon. Oh my goodness. He's chasing after the flight attendant now, repeatedly trying to stab them in the neck. Oh my god. <laughs> a group of passengers tackled the man, and the flight crew took over resisting the man until they reached their destination. Ugh. 
The man appeared in federal court in Boston on a felony charge of using a dangerous weapon to interfere with a flight crew. So mm. that's pretty self-explanatory. Indeed. I won't yeah. look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so he could face life in prison if he is charged. But oh, was ordered, damn. Yeah. But he's ordered to undergo a mental health evaluation. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Mm. Yes. Well, that makes sense. I mean, kind of bringing up Dracula and all kinds of weird stuff. That's yeah. a little strange. Yeah. Because he was also saying, like, he wants to be killed so he can come back and kill other people and it's just yeah i know it was a little intense so but again stabbing them in the neck like what is with flight intent like wanting to hurt maybe it's like the one thing that's showing i don't Mm, (laughs) i don't know maybe the most vulnerable spot oh we're going back now it's may 23rd 2021 so okay you respect we're in Southwest Flight 700 out of Sacramento to land in San Diego. It's short flight. Yeah. So it was preparing to land again, always before we land. <laughs> That's when the flight attendant told the 29-year-old woman to fasten her seatbelt, stow her tray up, and put um, pull her face mask back up because it was mm. COVID times. You know? Right. Okay. And that's procedure. I mean, they tell us to do that all the time, like put your oh, seats yeah. back up and all that stuff. Yeah, every single flight. The woman just flips out and starts to shout, starts to shout profanities at this flight attendant, and then stands up and just punches her right in the face. Oh my god! What? She grabs her. Yeah, she grabs her hair. She keeps trying to punch her, and that's when someone, a passenger, puts himself in between them. The flight attendant lost two teeth and left a scar underneath her eye. And she was off work for several months after the incident. Wow. I mean, okay, we'll continue on. So there is a 44 second clip that went viral of this attack. Like someone was recording because she was. I think I've seen it. Oh, yeah. I think I know which one you're talking about. I was wondering, actually, if it was. There's a lot. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there is. (laughs) But the attacker pled guilty to interfering with the duties of a flight attendant and agreed to pay nearly $26,000 in restitution. Wow. To the victim. Um, hopefully she'll see that. But now since it's gone viral, that clip is just really tied to her name. And her attorney's like, you know, she is a nice person, just a bad uh, sort of a, a bad decision. A, Sorry, a bad decision. Mm. And we're not sure what was going on with her, but you never turn to violence. You know, I mean, yeah. she's just trying to do her job and she's yeah. trying to get you there safe. So <laughs> Just do what they say, okay? <sighs> drink your little drink, have your little peanuts, and just chill. <laughs> just like let's just hang out, okay? I know you're on the you're on the plane for forty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know the flight to Boston. Yeah, I get it. It's a little yeah. bit longer. No, I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> that warrants, a, you know. That's like a super quick flight. Like you yeah. would have landed before the altercation was even over. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, some. <laughs> I haven't turned violent. Oh. It would take me, I do think it would take me a lot instead of someone just being like, can you put your mask up? And then just, I don't know. Yeah. I do think people were, I don't know, maybe what's a word I'm trying to like spread thin, you know, we're very during COVID, right? Ready right. to snap. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. towards the end of COVID, like by 2021, people were really done. Yeah. Done. And things were kind of 
at their height of dissonance i don't know how else to put it but <laughs> people are upset yeah no ab- lots of reasons so no absolutely oh, so it's just it's just unfortunate that people are getting to this mental state and hopefully they can get help for it also but people are just trying to do their job yeah okay? just put your fucking tray table up like yeah. let's be done with this exactly <laughs> So the Federal Aviation Administration has recorded about 857 cases of unruly passengers in the first half of 2023. Oh my gosh. And I did look up unruly for you, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) So unruly is by the aviation standard, you know. Okay. Unruly passenger is someone who by action or stated intent jeopardizes or might jeopardize the safety of the aircraft persons or property we're in or the accepted level of good order and discipline on board hmm. they're just jeopardizing safety and all that stuff got it yeah of the others and the aircraft and all of that so almost like 857 for the first six months of 2023 like it has gone yeah. up they said there's a rise in this with people on the airplane it just seems like there is a rise in i don't I don't even know how to uncivility. I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say, where people are just not civil to each other. Maybe or more. It's just, and people are so ready to snap. Like, lots of, it's like road rage all the time. I mean, I don't know (laughs) quite how else to put it. Yeah, because road rage is pretty on the rise too. It's just, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure maybe also there's a mental health issue as well that we're not addressing i mean there's i don't know there's a lot of possibilities but unfortunately these flight attendants have to deal with it oh god they probably don't get paid enough honestly to deal yeah with i know i used to think being a flight attendant would be like such a kick-ass job and you get to travel and do all these things mm-hmm. but most likely you're probably going to be on a flight that takes you from one place to the next and then back to that place and like you're doing that flight like twice or three times a day just the same one yeah you know i well I don't know, know how it works, but that's what it seems like. Cause it seems, I see a lot of the same flight attendants on the same flights a lot, especially oh, really? if you travel the same ones over and over, you'll see the same people. And so you kind of realize that they're probably just working that particular flight mm. like all the time. They probably work with the same pilots and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't I really no either. Idea. I'm probably talking out of my ass. Her usual. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, it's it's all very interesting because I know, like, I think don't they like bid like I'll take this flight or something like that. I don't know. Mm, that sounds right. I know they do that with a lot of the drivers for freight and delivery drivers and stuff. They mm. all have to bid on their uh, routes because there's definitely gotcha. better routes than others. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no, I definitely. Knew- I knew one chick who was a flight attendant and she used to take her friends all over and she would, you know, get uh, to work a flight to Paris or something. And so she would take a friend and then they'd go hang out in Paris for a few days and then she'd work a flight back. And so she was able to go all over. Wow. So she said she was home like maybe three months out of the year. Oh, I see. I don't know if I would like that. All over. Well, she was, you know sort of single and she didn't have any kids mm. or anything so she just sort of enjoyed gallivanting all over the world that's true like a free way to see the world like heck yeah that's yeah great. so in that aspect i'd probably be down for being yeah. a flight attendant mm-hmm. so hmm. absolutely 
but I definitely don't want my neck cut. So maybe yeah. not. Or punched in the face or yeah. have the you know door try to be open. Like, no, thank you. Yeah, that one made me wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy that at all. Yeah. Oh Lord. But they were minor injuries, thankfully, but you never know. They could have turned out worse. And what do you do when you you're on a flight? Like you have to wait. Arteries in your neck. I mean, you could bleed yeah. out like 10 seconds from a cut in your neck. So that's Absolutely. scary. That's very scary. All right, Michelle, how about we uh, go to your story? All right. All right. Tuck in, well, guys. This ooh. is a little bit of a long one. Just gonna Love it. say that right now. No, it's good. Mine were shorter. So. All right. So I'm taking us back a little ways. So we're going to start off in 1978. Oh, wow. And okay. We're actually going to go back a little bit further from there. Mm. So we are in a remote South forest of Russia in 1978. Okay. And there is a team of geologists that are surveying the area from the sky. And so they're helicoptering around. They're like uh, at least 160 miles from any like civilization. And this is even unexplored area. I mean, they're deep in Siberia, deep in the taiga forest. I mean, it's like crazy. So anyway, they spot what they shouldn't have been able to see. They like look down and they see all these sort of, uh, I don't know, like ridges from what clearly had been cultivated land. And so they're like, what the hell? There should be nothing out there. They landed and they discovered that there was a settlement there that had been there for almost 40 years. And it was this family living out in the like wildlands of the Siberia, completely oh. isolated from everyone for over 40 years. Wow. So, okay. Now we'll zip back to 1936 about Karp Lykov. Karp Lykov was an old believer in Russia. And this is in the time of Stalin. And mm. so there was a lot of religious persecution. And so he actually saw his brother killed and decided to swoop up his family and get the hell out of Dodge. Like the yeah. writing was on the wall. If they didn't get out, their entire family would be killed due to their religious beliefs. Wow. So that is what they did. They traveled for almost 250 miles without ever seeing anyone else. Karp Lykov took his wife and three kids. And as I said, they fled for mm -hmm. the wilderness of Russia where they could, you know, raise their kids that they chose and be free from religious persecution among their possessions they only took some seeds and just essentially the clothing that they had on their back mm. so it was carp his wife akulina their son savin who is nine years old and their daughter natalia who is actually only two and then much later there was actually two children born in the wild so oh, wow. Dimitri, who was born in 1940, and then Agafia, who was born in 1943. So they um, they were actually able to go out and sort of scrap out a life for themselves. So they ended up making a little hut kind of out in the middle of nowhere. 
And it was very what the scientists said when they came across it and were eventually invited inside that it was a floor consisting of potato peels and pine nut shells. And it was a lot of logs that had been harvested from around the area to create this sort of crude shelter. And then they had sort of dug down into the ground a little bit for a cellar. And so that's where they stored their food and everything. Interesting. Okay. But unfortunately, food was really hard to come by. You know, they had a very short spring and summer. And so all their crops just would either get eaten by wild animals or would die in the cold or just wouldn't make it. And they were actually on the verge of completely starving when this one pea plant that had one rye seed on it sprouted and they ended up building a fence around it and guarded it day and night. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so from there... They were able actually to harvest 18 rye seeds. And so they were able to get their harvest kind of back and going. But they were always like just short of famine. And in fact, unfortunately, mom, she did not want to see her children starve. So she actually ended up starving herself to death because to eat all of her food to her kids because she didn't want to see them see them starve so they ate a lot of like bark and things and mushrooms in the area i guess there was some wild raspberries that were close by and their hut was right next to a stream so they had cold fresh water all the time oh but i mean it was it got to be negative 40 degrees in the winter all the time i mean And so they were able to make do and kind of keep things going. But once anything of like metal broke down, things got a lot more difficult. They had a kettle, which they must have brought with them. So I apologize. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it served them for many years. But then the rust sort of made a hole in it finally. And then eating became even more difficult because they weren't even able to replace their metal kettle. And so cooking food just became more difficult. And their main diet was potatoes, which they were able to mix with the ground rye that Mm. they had grown. Um, And they actually grew hemp seeds as well. And so they were able to sort of mix it up into a patty and ate that the vast majority of the time. Fortunately, they had tons of firewood. (laughs) So they were able to stay warm a lot of the time. So once in the 1950s, like 20 years, now they've been living 20 years out in the wilderness, Dimitri reached manhood and he was actually able to go out and start trapping food, trapping meat for their first time. Whoa. First time in 20 years, the meat? Yeah, he hadn't really had any meat. And so they didn't have guns or bows or anything. And so what he would do is he would dig out traps in the like frozen ground And then he would pursue his prey across like miles and miles of wilderness until they got too tired. And then he was able to kind of pick them off. He got to the point where he could hunt barefoot in the winter and he could stay out in the open and sleep out in the open in like 40 degrees of frost. I mean, in just freezing weather, he was able to adapt to it. Yeah, he was just able to adapt. Again, they just their life grew hard. 
it was difficult to find meat. They, uh, so their diet became more and more just the rye seeds that they grew, which they still had trouble growing them. They ate a lot of grass and roots and bark, and they were just hungry all the time. And every year they would have a council of the family to decide whether they should eat up more seeds or try to save some because they were just on the edge of starvation all the time. That's crazy. Wait, is the mom still alive or did she starve herself to death? The mom has starved herself to death. Oh my gosh. Kind of at this okay. point. I know. Gotcha. So as the scientists went to go visit them more, they kept trying to bring them gifts, but their religious beliefs sort of prevented them from accepting any of them. Oh. They were just like, forget it. It's all sin. Uh, but they were able to like slowly have them accept gifts. The first gift that the scientists were actually able to give the Lykovs was salt. Oh. <laughs> so they had been without salt, which uh, Carp had described as true torture. They had been without salt for over 40 years. Wow. By that point. So they probably had to use it so sparingly. Yeah, <laughs> like seriously. Probably everything was so salty, but they were really excited to get it. So the the scientists would bring innovations to the camp. Like, for instance, one thing that they brought was like cellophane wrap. And, oh. you know, so carp Lykov was so excited about it because it was like, it's like glass, but it crumples. And so he was the most excited to see a lot of the innovations. Mm-hmm. And one sin that they could not resist was TV. Like oh. they saw TV <laughs> and they were just like sucked right in and thought it was incredible. How they see the TV? Like they brought a TV or what? Yeah, I think they eventually got them to come down to the camp with them. Oh, the scientists were saying they ended up sort of accepting more and more from them. They ended up taking some knives and forks and grain, um, and eventually even took some pen and paper, and they were able to sort of communicate more with them because, as it turns out, all the kids had been educated this entire time. So they had used a lot of uh, charcoal and that type of thing to teach the kids how to write and uh, teach them how to read. And though it was pretty, still pretty crude, they were much more, yeah, they were much more educated than I think they ever expected. The one thing that Carp was not having though, that a man had landed on the moon. He he just wouldn't believe it. He was like, forget it. Uh, (laughs) But he did believe in the satellites because he could see them. Like he started to see as time went on, lights more flashing in the sky. So he was able to like, oh yeah, satellites, but the moon, no way, no way. So they were able to really sort of bring them out of their isolation a little bit more, but they did still want to continue living in their um, settlement that they had made for themselves. And kind of the saddest thing of the whole situation is that in the fall of 1981, three of the four children ended up dying within what? days of each other. Yeah, it was very quick. And they think it's probably due to at least one of the deaths, uh, Dimitri, was probably due to uh, contact with the scientists. They, you really? know, they just didn't have the immunity. They had been isolated for 40 years. Savin and Natalia both suffered from kidney failure, which they think was due to their rough diet, but they Mm -hmm. died 
all three of them died within days of each other. Really? So it was very quick. And then the father ended up following not too much longer after that. In fact, it was 27 years to the day that his wife had passed. Whoa. So he ended up, so it was three kids and the father all kind of died quickly. So we just had Agafia left in the home where she actually lives to this day. Seriously? She, yeah, she lives out there by herself. She's in her 70s and she won't leave. They, uh, she was kind of waving goodbye to everyone on the day after her father's funeral and she said go on and she was you know she wasn't crying she was very stoic the scientist left she was still there standing and watching him go and that was kind of the end of their relationship and they left her in isolation after that wow okay so, agafia still lives in the wilderness of siberia to this day so. that's intense that is impressive yeah so she's still living in the wilderness probably working the same land that her family did for 40 years i mean on the brink good of on her it just sounds like so much work well i guess hard work isn't even a thing for her i mean right she just, this is just that's normal life yeah. yeah this is what you do you work hard from the moment you wake up until you go to bed and then you wake up the next day and work hard again wow i don't know i feel like i'd be lonely i uh, yeah i think you must just i don't know have a mental fortitude that is probably from years and years of just being in isolation i mean i'm sure she misses her family right right especially them all going so quickly and right, that has to be really quite the close. shock. Well, especially your mom sacrificing herself for you and then your oh, siblings and your dad within like a few days. That is, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't even imagine. I mean, getting to a point where you could go through the snow barefoot like all the time. <laughs> that is Because I mean, once their shoes wore out, they wore like bark on their feet. But that was it. I mean, they didn't have any replacements, you know, they could eventually get leather, but that wasn't until like 20 years after they had been out there. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. I, it, I'm just in shock. I mean, that's like, I'm impressed, saddened and confused. I don't know. Just like, <laughs> well, the, my telling of the story was not optimal. No, I no, no. You did good. Oh, I probably shouldn't have had so many of these gimlets. We don't need to get into that. Um, well, yeah, you have to go second. So you have more time. To <laughs> by that agree, time, the alcohol so. is really set in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit surprised I don't slur more. Oh, sometimes. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I edit all that out. No. Because <laughs> uh, like we go camping like every year. Well, we used to go camping like every year. And yeah, you have to dig out your own like bathroom. And there's like, there's no running i mean there's a river but there's no you know we don't have shower plumbing, whatever no plumbing nothing like that so we just and that like and we did that my longest doing that was like five days and i was like all right wow okay i'm, <laughs> I'm <done>. ready <laughs> yeah yeah that's fun 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 but i'm ready for a nice hot shower you know yeah let's go fill up that cooler full of fresh food yeah and, you know maybe some beers and such exactly <laughs> So and then go I home guess, to our air conditioned department or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess, yeah. I mean, maybe we take a lot of things for granted, like simple things like salt, you know, I guess I've never really thought about that. So I have thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you have the pocket salt? Yes. I still like, have what mine. What would I do without salt? I would probably try to make my way to a coast so I could then harvest my own salt from the sea oh, or something okay. like that. I don't know what I would do without salt. I would be so sad and my food would not taste delicious. Well, you're a cook, so. Yeah, I'd be bummed. I'd figure something out. I don't know yeah. what I would do, but. You'd uh, go to the ocean. That's what you would do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would just move to the ocean. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's I watched crazy. this whole thing. Sorry. We're now we're digressing, but this is Uh-oh. about salt. But they have, I think it's like in Bali or it's in Indonesia or somewhere where they have like the old salt farmers. And it's crazy to watch them because they will get a piece of beach and like spread it all really thin and then take like trip after trip after trip to the ocean to get salt water that they pour on this section of beach. And then at the end of the day, after it's dried out, they go through and like pick up all the salt flakes and then it goes through this whole washing system. What's beach? Like your the sandy beach, like at the ocean. And so they just, and then they wash all the, the salt away from the sand and the salt from each other. And then you're left with all this like super flaky sea salt. And it's really kind of cool. It's very old school way that they harvest salt. Okay. But it's just like pouring ocean water on the sand. Yeah. And then letting the heat like evaporate all the water. And what you're left with is all this sort of flaky salt. And then they just skim it off the top and then wash it and boom, you got a whole bag of salt. Wow. Sand is so small though. I feel like that'd be so hard to separate. They have all these really sort of cool contraptions like old oh. school bamboo, this one particular place. I mean, I'm sure they do it much more uh-huh. modern, you know, like in the US or whatever, but this was old fashioned traditional salt mining or salt making and so they had all these bamboo sort of terrines I guess where they would put water through and the and the sand would rush out of it and then the salt would stay and eventually the water would evaporate out and you're left with nothing but salt that they would then break up and sell in bags or whatever sell by the pound okay so that's it's just I think that would be fun probably for about a day and then I'd be over it. But these people have been doing it for, you know, this one woman, she had been doing it for over 40 years, probably right. even longer. I mean, it was insane. Just every day pouring that salt okay. water over the sand. I mean, there's a will, there's a way, right? My gosh. Yeah. Well put, Caitlin. Okay. <laughs> well, that was a really interesting story. Sad, but uh, interesting. Like, I know. I do wonder, like, if they had never been discovered, how much longer they would have lived. Because I'm, I'm right. sure it was being in contact with all the being out of isolation. Right. You know, you're just your immune system set up one way, and then you're meeting new people, and your immune system just can't handle it. That's so, so interesting. Okay. I would have lived for a lot longer. Sad. Oh, that'd be wild. Ah, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> we went from the sky to isolation, and yeah. <laughs> good story, Michelle. That's a good find. Good stories, good drinks. Aww. Yes. Very nice. This was a great episode. Anything else, Michelle? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to add. I probably uh, should not. 
so funny. All right. Well, self-restraint. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we'll uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, please follow us for the next time and we'll see you on the next episode. Okay. Bye. Woo-hoo! Enjoy these lavender gimlets. They are delightful. Mm. You say bye? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. (laughs)